Well, if you have your Bibles uh, today, uh, you are welcome to join along as we uh, take a look at multiple scriptures today. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we're going to be all over the Word of God uh, today. Uh, and uh, we are going to start out in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, uh, because it is from that verse that we have the uh, title of today's sermon, which is The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. Uh, and I will reread uh, to you uh, verse 8. Uh, to me, uh, and this is Paul speaking, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. As you know, a few weeks back, we took a look at that phrase, the very least of all the saints, uh, as we considered what Paul was doing uh, and uh, also what John the Baptist was doing uh, as men that were called out by God for the particular purpose of communicating the truth of salvation in Christ, uh, that they did not take this as an opportunity to puff themselves up, to be filled with pride because they were chosen for these uh, you know, positions, or to take uh, this calling and make it something that was not. Uh, matter of fact, both men uh, in humility realized who they were in Christ uh, and the role that they both had the privilege of playing uh, as they were there at the time when Christ walked the earth. Uh, and each one of those men stepped aside. Um, you know, Paul saying, I'm the very least of the saints. John the Baptist saying, I must decrease, he must increase. It is on that backdrop and actually this contrast that we're finding uh, in our text today. Because the, the phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ, are contrasted with less than the least. And so we have two opposite ends of the spectrum. Because what Paul is saying that he as a sinner uh, that, is, that recognized his sin as uh, Christ appeared to him on that road... Uh, to Damascus as he was blinded and as his, his eyes and his ears and his heart were opened up to the truth of who Jesus Christ really was, the Messiah. The one that, that Saul, who became Paul, uh, was looking for uh, but completely missed uh, until Christ walked into his life. But it is that less than the least... Him being a sinner in the presence of holiness, in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, that he compares or actually contrasts the unsearchable riches in Christ. See, what Paul is doing here is he's lifting up Jesus as the greatest. That everything that we have as a result of putting our faith and trust in Christ is, is unsearchable. But don't be confused, don't you know, think that because it says the unsearchable riches of Christ that we should not search into what the riches are of Christ and what we have in Christ. Matter of fact, the opposite is true. Uh, we need to know all that we have in Christ because the more that we see Christ's work of, of regeneration in our hearts, our minds, our, our souls, that is going to affect how we live. Because the thing is, if we don't know everything that we've been saved from, if we don't realize just how unsearchable the riches of Christ are, that the Son of God took on flesh, dwelt among us, and made possible salvation in the way in which he did, 
being obedient to the point of death on a cross, we'll make the fatal mistake of living life as if that is a reality, but not a reality. And so the call today is for us to see that the unsearchable riches of Christ uh, are not comprised of what the world would think. This is not, you know, physical riches. This is not material riches. These are spiritual in nature, uh, addressing the greatest need that all of mankind has, and that is to have that spiritual void filled with Christ. And to know that these unsearchable riches of Christ have no limit. That's what it means when they're unsearchable. It's not that they cannot be known, it's that they have no limit. We're going to see the magnitude of them, see how great they are, to see how enormous they are. And what I did is I actually took and, and you know, spent some time putting this all together uh, because I figured, well, you know, what better way to be able to remember the riches of Christ, or at least some of them, and know this, this list is not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. But I gave one, you know, riches of Christ, or one, you know, one richness of Christ to each letter of the alphabet. And that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes together, is take a look at every letter of the alphabet and, and a scripture to go with that for you to see the riches that you have in Christ. So that your heart is swollen this morning by all that you have. So that your eyes will be filled with tears of joy as to all that you have in Christ. Because you need to be reminded, you you are constantly bombarded by things that are contrary to that, by the pressures of life. Having to go over here, over there, you know, back there, back here being twisted, turned, and, you know, having your mind, your eyes, your ears filled with all kinds of filthiness, that today the cleansing happens so that we can counteract all of that in such a way that you can see the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's my introduction, and so let's begin, because we have a lot of letters to consider, Um, but I will get you out of here on time, don't worry. So uh, as you look at the back of your bulletin, uh, I gave you each letter with the scripture to go with it, because I'm sure some of you are going to go, wait, 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 what is that scripture again, Pastor Bill? Um, But we're going to speak to each one. So the letter A begins our alphabet, and that takes us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And the A is, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the first riches that we have in Christ is the fact that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this really sets the stage for all the rest of the letters in the alphabet. Because you need to understand that is you are not part of this world anymore. You have been chosen out by God. You have experienced God's grace, God's mercy. You have been freed from the bondage of sin and death. Yes, your physical body will still die, but you have eternal life instead, which is letter E, which we'll get to in a few moments. But notice this. 
that in this riches of Christ, this is not something that you just keep to yourself or you know, relish in the fact that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, because it goes on to say, so that, so there is something that is going to happen as a result of this identity that you now have in Christ, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in other words, you don't keep it a secret of who you are in Christ. Yes, there are identities and identifying markers that that will identify you from the rest of the world if you are truly living as one who has been redeemed. But it's for the purpose of the rest of the world to see it. For them to know that they are in darkness and that there is a marvelous light which can speak truth into their existence that can help them to see with spiritual eyes everything that they can be in Christ. That they can be forgiven. That they can be set free. Not to continue to live for self, but to be part of a people for God's own possession. B. Born again. Takes us to also 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So letter B says that we have been born again, so you are no longer spiritually dead. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You've been made alive in Christ Jesus. You've been born again. And there's no going back. And there should be no desire to go back. But human nature oftentimes is prone. Even the children of Israel, you know, freed from being in slavery in Egypt. And after a little while, what did they do? Well, we want to go back to Egypt. Someone who has been born again does not want to go back to being a slave to sin. They can't go back because they've been born again. No, no sooner can I go back into my mother's womb than I can go back and be spiritually dead because it's by the power of God that you're made spiritually alive. It's by the power of God that you were born again. C, comfort. Oops. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So letter C tells us that we have a comfort from God that is eternal. And what is that comfort? Is it so that we can just live however we want and just let time go by? No, the comfort is is that we are no longer enemies of God, that we can be in the presence of the God who is holy, 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 all because of Jesus Christ, all because the Father loved us through his Son and has given us an eternal comfort, and so that is a comfort to your heart. That it doesn't matter what man may do to you in this flesh, in this world, 
He can even take your life. But that does not matter. Because you have a comfort that is eternal. You have a comfort from God, a comfort that goes to the very core of who you are. So that means that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what you're experiencing, you need to focus on the reality that you have an eternal comfort, and that should be a comfort to your heart even now. D, deliverance. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our, 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 yeah, to the will of our God and Father. So here it speaks to that salvation that we have in Christ, that we have been delivered from this present evil age. So that means that even though we live in this present evil age, we have been delivered from it. Yes, we are in the world, we are just not of it. And see, what God delivers, what God takes away from and puts to, cannot be changed. Man cannot undo that, because God himself, by his almighty power, has delivered you in Christ from this present evil age. And the same God who delivered you will be the same God that holds everyone in that present evil age, which ours is no different. We may look at our age and say, it's, it's never been this bad. Yes, it has. It's been this bad since the beginning. It was bad in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus Christ gave himself for your sins to deliver you from this present evil age. God does deliver. E, eternal life. John six forty seven. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. It's a done deal. If you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave himself for you, then you've been reconciled to God and you have eternal life. And nothing in this world, not even you yourself, not Satan himself can change that. Has, past tense, has eternal life. F, forgiveness. Ephesians 4, so this is a look ahead. We haven't gotten to chapter 4 yet. Verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I want you to go to the end of the verse first. God in Christ forgave you. Did God do that with a clarifying statement? Did he say that, you know, I forgive you as long as you don't sin anymore? Because the thing is, you have to remember, Jesus died on the cross back in the first century, right? Were you there physically? Well, your sins were there on that cross. But see, the thing is, is that God in Christ forgave you. Didn't matter what your sins were going to be. God knows them all. There's no sin that's going to surprise God. But in Christ, he forgave you. Whether you did one sin, which no one here could ever claim they've only sinned once. 
because right there, that's that's the sin of pride. So there's two. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not even God, and I can I can yeah, I can use my brain to figure that out. So think about it: the hundreds and hundreds of sins you've done, but God in Christ forgave you. So. Since that's a reality, since that is the truth, then what does verse 32 say? Because God in Christ forgave you, you are to be kind one to another. So that means you need to be kind to to everyone. So take a look around. Every believer in this room you have to be kind to, even me. Especially me, no. Tender-hearted. That means giving grace and mercy because we're still not perfect. We still make mistakes. We still misspeak. We still misreact. Wow, somebody even admitted it here this morning. Yes, we do. Forgiving one another. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Bill. I cannot forgive that individual because you don't know how much they hurt me. God in Christ forgave you. So you are to forgive one another. Do you see the fact that you have to look at everything that anyone does to you through the lens of God forgiving you in Christ for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rebellious, sinful acts against the holy God? So if God can forgive you in Christ, then there is no reason, no excuse on this earth whatsoever, no matter how much you've been hurt, no matter what was done, you are to forgive Because God in Christ forgave you. G, grounded in love. And this is also Ephesians chapter 3, just a few verses from now. We're actually going to be looking at this more in detail here in the weeks to come. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he, the Father, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And there's a bunch of sermons in that, those few verses. But see, we're grounded in love. And did you notice that this love is the entire Trinity? He, the Father, may grant to you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are the ones that ground you in that love. It is a work of God Almighty One God, three persons, who grounds you in that love. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. H, hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he, who God has, caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, our Savior's not dead. Amen? Amen. 
Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he has caused you to be born again, not just to a mediocre hope, but a living hope. A hope that is alive. A hope that can guide you through this life. A hope of what is yet to come. A hope that is not, I hope so, a hope that is sure. You can count on it. Because God is going to do what God's going to do. And no one can stop that. That's why he is blessed. That's why he is full of great mercy. I, inheritance, Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Well, whose death is that? Jesus Christ. Because he died, he is the one who is the new covenant in his blood. We have an eternal inheritance. So again, as you think about it, when we trust Christ as Savior, there's nothing you can do to void that. Because you've been delivered. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's no going back. And matter of fact, God has taken care of everything to the point of letting you know that you have an eternal hope. You have an an eternal joy. You have an eternal comfort. You have an eternal inheritance in Christ with God. Which brings letter J, joy. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The words of our Savior. His joy. So is Jesus' joy lacking in some capacity? Did he have no joy when he went to the cross? Well, Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, the thing is, man cannot rob God of his joy because it's who God is. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, man cannot take away our joy because joy is not the same thing as happiness. You can be happy today and sad this afternoon, mad this afternoon, angry this afternoon, Because happiness is an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It belongs to God. It's part of who God is. And so man cannot rob you of that. Even if he takes your life, he cannot rob you of the joy that you have in Christ. Because we're in the vine. That's what John 15 is all about. K, kept. 1 Peter 1.5, who by God's power are being guarded or kept, in the Greek, through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So who are you kept by? God. So that is another riches of Christ. Something that you can have and know without a shadow of a doubt that no one is going to rob you from God. God's got you. You are kept. L, love, 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. So you didn't love God first. You didn't all of a sudden say, well, you know what, I'm going I'm to love God today. No, because remember, you were spiritually dead. 
A corpse cannot love. A corpse can only be dead. A corpse does nothing. There's no life there. But because God loved you first, now you're able to love because you've been made spiritually alive in Christ. M, we've been given a mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I, I know you know this, these verses, but again, this is a un, part of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus, Christ or Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we've been given a mission. It's threefold, to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And what are we baptizing? What are we teaching? What are we making disciples of? I'm not making disciples of Bill Diggins. That would be a bad thing. Disciples of Jesus Christ. You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are taught the word of God. And the interesting thing is you look at the end of that mission, just in case you thought, there's no way I can do that. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you're not alone in this. As a matter of fact, you have the Holy Spirit that that lives within you. So the, the mission that God has given to you may seem impossible in an earthly, finite mind. But remember who you are in Christ. Remember the almighty power of God. Remember, you save no one. It's God who saves. You're just the mouthpiece through which that message comes. You are sharing the truth and stepping aside so they can see Christ. Just like John the Baptist and Paul have shown us. N, a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, another wording, but we are not the same individuals. We've been born again. We've been transferred out of one kingdom of darkness where we could not see and we were bound by sin and death into the kingdom of light where we are free to worship God as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, overcomers. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How have you overcome the world? Does that mean that you're going to, you know, be you know, saying, singing the song, We Are Champions? No. You've overcome the world because it was the world to which you were a slave to. That's what you live for. That's what you were bound by because you were part of the kingdom of this world and not part of the kingdom of heaven. So you've been freed from that. You've been delivered from that. You've been born out of that. So that is why you are an overcomer or an overcomer of the world is because of Christ in you. You're no longer bound by it. Because you've been born of God in Christ through the Spirit. Which produces a peace. Romans 5.1, which is our letter P. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
Can you have peace with God by just being the very best version of yourself or being better than other people in the world? No. Can you just be hopeful that God will understand and the excuse that you give him on that day when you stand before him will be good enough? No. See, the only way that you can have peace with God is to do it God's way. And God said that the only way that you can have peace, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace to know that you are no longer God's enemy, but you are God's friend, God's son, God's daughter, God's family, is in Christ. He is the one that brings you to the Father. Not your good works, not being better than everyone else, not going to church. It's only in Christ that we can have peace with God. Qualified, Q. Colossians 1, 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So who qualifies you? Does your good works qualify you? No. Does your family lineage qualify you? No. Do your parents, and I'm speaking to the kids here this morning, Does that qualify you? No. The one who qualifies you is the Father. Well, how is the Father going to qualify you when you know his Son, the one whom he sent in love, so that you could be redeemed, which brings us to letter R. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, the thing is, you're not redeemed, you're not ransomed, your debt against God is not paid in the things that this world would use to pay a debt. There is no quantity large enough. Because remember, God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God cannot be bought off. The only way that you're going to be made right with God is through Christ. It is through his precious blood that your debt can be paid in full, complete, so that you have eternal life. S, strength. Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. This is the song of Moses after they had been freed from Egypt as they watched the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea. And what does Moses say? The Lord is my strength. See, only someone who knows God redemptively can say that the Lord is their strength. Because someone who is not saved will say, well, you know what? I'll do the very best in my own power to do this. But someone who's redeemed, someone who sees God, knows that their strength comes from him. Because again, your strength to live in this physical realm is your own strength. And even I could make the argument that that strength is still given to you by God. Because he sustains life, so you're not autonomous. But the thing is, the strength that you need in order to be spiritually alive can only come from God. Can only be maintained by God. 
is a strength that can get you through anything that this world can throw at you, that life can throw at you. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. T, we're getting close. We're going to make it. A thirst for God. Psalm 63, starting in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. See, something that God does when he wakes us up spiritually, breathes spiritual life into us, is all of a sudden we have a thirst not for sin, but a thirst for him. Because he is the one who made you. He is the one who wove you in your mother's womb. He is the one who sent in love his son to die so that you could have spiritual life. So one of the litmus tests of someone who is a true believer in Jesus Christ is, ask yourself, do I have a thirst for God? Or do I have a thirst for life and everything that I want? Now, I'm not saying as a, as a thirst for God that you, you walk around 24 hours a day, seven days a week with your head in the word of God, praying to God all the time and not doing things that God has given you responsibility to do. But the thing is, is that we, remember, we don't compartmentalize and put God in one box and our life in another. That's what the world does. If there's a God, he's somewhere out there, but he's not part of my reality here on earth. For the believer, they're one and the same. So there's a thirst for God because we realize God's grace, God's love, his mercy. We have a love for him that we did not have because he first loved us, therefore we love him. You, united with Christ, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Another unsearchable riches of Christ is the fact that we are actually united with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, how do I live it? I live it by faith in the Son of God. See the difference? Do you see the focal difference? So look at your life. Do you see that evidence? Because it's a rich is it's a rich. Yeah, I don't know what the word would be. It's a riches of Christ. I'm not sure if that's grammatically right. It's part of the riches of Christ. Maybe that's what I should say. We've been united with Christ. We are victorious. V. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over sin and death because of Christ. 
I have no ability, no power in and of myself to have victory over anything spiritual apart from Christ Jesus. The reason I have victory, the reason you have victory, is because of Christ in you. It's a riches of Christ. W, wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6 to 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Those are beautiful verses. We know that God's wisdom is pure and holy and full. God doesn't need to add to or alter or take away from his wisdom. It's perfect in all of its ways. And it's God who actually gives wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Well, who are the upright? Those who know his son. So know this. God is storing up sound wisdom for you as his son and as his daughter because of Christ in you. So if you want to know what God's will for you is, pray to God and ask him for some of that sound wisdom. If you don't know which way to go, whether to keep your job or to quit your job, Guess what? Go to where there is a a storehouse of sound wisdom. Wisdom just for you. Because it says, sound wisdom for the upright. Those who belong to God, those who will walk in integrity. And he watches over the way of his saints. So he's not just waiting for us to, to do the next wrong thing. He's watching over the way. And when we let his word guide us, so that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, then God's wisdom is going to do exactly what it is meant to do. To continue keeping us in the way of integrity. To speak soundly to the things that we have question marks about. Even if that means just trusting God more. Because you don't know, but God does. X. And you're probably thinking, how did he come up with an X? All right. Well, you know that overlapping femurs signify death. You know, pirates use the skull and crossbones. You know, the X being the crossbones, those femurs being crossed over. Well, what does Christ have in riches in relation to death? Romans 6.11, so that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, we are dead to sin. Sin is not our master anymore. We have the ability through Christ in us, through the Spirit in us, through God the Father in us, to live a life glorifying to God. Not to self, to God. Why? A yearning for God's word. Psalm 119.103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, something that God does to those that he has redeemed, to those who he has delivered, to those who have been born again, to those who have eternal life, who have, have forgiveness, who are grounded in love, who have hope, who have an inheritance, who have joy, who are kept who have love, who have a mission, who are a new creation, who are overcomers, who have peace, who are qualified, 
who are redeemed, who have strength from God and God alone, who have a thirst for God, who are united with God, who are victorious in Christ, who have wisdom, who are dead to, to sin, love God's word. Love everything that God says. Even if the culture doesn't. Even if it makes the culture uncomfortable. See, the truth sets you free. And what is God's word? The truth. And finally, Z. We have a zeal. Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." See, God doesn't just save us so that we don't pay the penalty for our sin in eternal damnation forever. He saves us for the purpose of being all those things we just mentioned, but also having a zeal to do those things. He's given you a love for God and his word. He's given you a thirst that can only be quenched by the word of God. And you'll find that when you go to seek and have the word of God quench it, God makes you more thirsty. Because you can't get enough of God. Because we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what sin messed up. But because of Christ, we have unsearchable riches. So my prayer for you today, as you consider A through Z, and again, I told you this wasn't exhaustive. We don't have enough letters of the alphabet to speak to the riches of Christ. But may this drive you, may this inform you in such a way that you walk into the rest of this day, into tomorrow, into the rest of this week, not letting the weight of life rob you of knowing everything that you have in Christ. This is why you need to be in the word of God. You need to, to have God's truth push out every lie of Satan in relation to who you are. And the only way that's going to happen is if you expose yourself to the word of God, that you, you act on that thirst for his word. That you see yourself as an overcomer in this evil age. To not allow the evil age to pressure you or dictate to you who you are. Because that is no longer who you are. Because you are in Christ. So live like it. Take these truths and personalize them. Make them part of who you are. Each and every day. And I can guarantee you, because I know my God, that he will guide you, he will direct you, he will lead you through or around or remove 
Whatever it is that you find that the world or the culture or what sinful man lives for is trying to do to push out God's truth. Because you're going to allow that information to come in one way or another. Because you're still learning. There's a lot of stuff you don't know. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. Even in relation to God. That's why I have a thirst for God. Because I want to know him more. The thing is, is what, you know, we always, what's the phrase? Garbage in, garbage out. God's truth, God's word is not garbage. And if you're taking that in, that's going to push all the garbage out. And leave no room for the garbage to even come in because you're full of God's truth. You're full of the riches that are in Christ Jesus. So stop living for the moment. Stop living for this world. Stop letting the world dictate to you who you are. Know who you are in Christ Jesus today. As I say, plumb the depths of all that we have been blessed with as children of God. Because that will get you through anything and everything, even death itself. Because God's got you. He's watching over the way of his saints. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, which does speak truth each and every day. Lord, we thank you for this representation of all the riches that we have in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing, what a joy it is to to know you, to know your spirit, to know your son, to no longer be bound by this world, to no longer have to allow the, the culture to tell us who we are or how we should act or what we should believe or what we should embrace or what we shouldn't speak to. Because you know what, Father? You know already that the world is going to have to answer to you, just like we are. So, Father, may we be found as those who see and understand and embrace all the riches that we have in Christ today. May this uplift every believer in here today so that they, through your eyes, through your power, can see just how invincible they can be through you. That nothing can stand in the way of your saints, that you guard, you watch over our way. It doesn't mean you remove everything. It doesn't mean that you remove the temptation uh, that comes from this world or the trials that you bring into our lives. That's not what we're talking about. But how we respond to those things is all the more different when we embrace the riches that we have in your son. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he has accomplished and what he has done. And so, Father, may we live like that in your presence daily, but also in the presence of this evil age so that the truth will truly chase out every lie. For your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.